Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 136 of the Adventures in Angular show. This week on our panel, we have Alyssa Nichol. Hello, hello. Joe Eames. Hey everybody. John Papa. <laughs> Why, hello. Hello there. Lucas Rubelkey. Hello. Ward Bell. Good evening, and welcome to Masterpiece Theater. And I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Quick shout out about... JS RemoteConf. Uh, we also have a special guest this week, and that is Thomas Burleson. Hey, everybody. Do you want to give us a brief intro? It's been a little while since you've been on the show. So uh, I guess I'm a person, a developer who has a couple hats. Um, I've met most of you, I think, through the Angular community. I've been involved with the Angular community since .9, roughly. And um, I had the privilege of being invited to participate with Angular Material 1 in the development almost three years ago now that we started that effort. And um, and from that effort, then I branched off into other areas. And I, I work with Matthias on some animations. And recently, and the reason I'm here to talk to everyone is I've been also or, uh, spearheading an effort for Flex Layout, a new library coming from at Angular. Thomas, sir, what is a flex layout and why do I care? <laughs> well, you know, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so often we, we think of Angular and we see the migration of the, and the features of Angular coming from Angular 1 to Angular 2 and the power of templates and data binding and dependency injection. And we start thinking about, wow, all the applications we can create. And then we encounter two sort of roadblocks often, if not almost always. And those roadblocks have to do with animations, and the other one has to do laying out your views and the way that you want them to be laid out. I thought you were going to say bootstrap. I definitely <laughs> not saying bootstrap. Bootstrap's not bad, right? I mean, bootstrap has, uh, has a lot of power, but I think people will discover after looking at the, and I'll, I'll, I'll just call it flex layout for now, but it's, the repository is, is um, at angular slash flex dash layout. But after they start using that, they'll probably never use bootstrap again. Okay. You said the repository or whatever, is, is that what you include in your app? At Angular that slash is, flex correct. layout. Okay. So it's part of the Angular uh, set of libraries that you can install. And when you install at Angular, uh, the slash common core, um, soon there, I think there'll be a separate one for animations. Another one is at Angular slash flex dash layout. The uh, RC is out uh, for that. So I think animations is already in a separate package with the latest Angular 4 RC. That's awesome. I know Matthias has been working in Midnight Oil on that. So I'm going to push the rewind button just for a second because uh, I've heard of Flexbox, but I haven't really done a whole lot with it. Yep. Dare yep. I so admit that on the show? Uh, can you give us just a brief rundown of what Flexbox or Flexible Boxes or Flex or whatever it is? Hey there, this is Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to talk to you really briefly about Freelance Remote Comp. I'm putting on a conference for people who want to go freelance or who are freelance and bringing in some of the experts from the Freelancer Show to talk to you about how to find clients, how to collect money, how to build your business, how to specialize, and much, much more. So if you're thinking about going freelance or you're already freelance and want to hear from the experts on how to go 
become or grow your freelancing business, then by all means, come check us out at freelanceremoteconf.com. with it. Yep. Dare yep. I so admit can... that on the show? Uh, can you give us just a brief rundown of what Flexbox or Flexible Boxes or Flex or whatever is? Right. So Flexbox, and if we really say it the full way, it's Flexbox CSS. This is a feature set that's supported by um, most browsers right now. In fact, all evergreen browsers. And this is a set of CSS that you can use to organize the layout of your DOM elements. In, and I tell people you can use it to organize a layout in horizontal or vertical um, orders. Uh, and, but it's more than that. You can use it to resize and sort of establish relationships between a parent container and the, its children and how the children should be laid out and how they should be resized with respect to that parent. And it gives you the ability to not have to use float anymore, CSS floats, and um, also not to really have to even think about grid layouts anymore. Right, So often developers would start looking at page design and they would try to break it up into a set of grids, eight column grids, 12 column grids. I think even material design has a grid, a grid column sort of uh, notation in their specification. But with Flexbox, you really don't do that anymore. It's really about laying things out in a flow pattern. It's really smart, too, because you can do things like, I want you to do space between or space around for my children elements, and it figures out the amount of space that's left and divides it up evenly and either puts it between or between and around, or you can either Correct. do it at the beginning or the end. And so it actually it really does fully replace things like floats or even positioning. Um, sometimes there are special cases, of course, where you have to use, like, I need to position you off the page still. But for the most part, like he's saying, like, it is well, so, the way so to I don't so I don't have to figure out which one is supposed to be positioned absolute and which one is supposed to be positioned relative and have no clue how I made that decision or why it doesn't work? Well, that's a that's a trick question, Ward, because if you're doing things with position um, uh, absolute, then often you're probably trying to do things like floating something, like a, an overlay or positioning something explicitly. Exactly. Yeah. And Flexbox isn't really designed for that aspect. In fact, you can use absolute still with Flexbox, but you have to think of those elements as floating separate, like as in overlays. But what Flexbox does is it says, listen, if you take your normal DOM layout, your containers, your sections and your divs and some of the elements within it, and you want them to be laid out in a fashion, let's say that you said, okay, I want this, this a toolbar. I want the buttons to be laid out in a row. And I want them to have a certain amount of space between them. And I want that space to adjust as the as the width of the row changes because maybe the viewport of the the browser window is changing width. Then I want those that spacing to automatically adjust. If um, and in fact, maybe I even want the buttons to resize. Um, proportionally yeah. with respect to each other. This is what Flexbox gives you out of the box. So I'm not writing media tags to do that? Well, that's a different issue, right? So um, so Flexbox, so there's two aspects, right? There's one is using Flexbox to sort of define your flows, your layouts. And 
then there's this whole issue of how do you create responsive features, right? And before I talk about responsive features, the, the one of the biggest challenges with Flexbox is that you have to, in general, to use it and to use it well, you actually have to know, be almost an expert at the Flexbox CSS specs. And you end up having to really dive under the hood and try to figure out what, under what conditions do you need to add extra flexbox settings or, or specific pads or height settings and other things to get the actual flexbox to, um, stylings to work. So often people, when they try to use flexbox, they get frustrated because it's initially non-trivial to learn. Now you add on top of that the fact that you now you want to have your application be responsive. In other words, as you as your application is displayed on a mobile device or, or a viewport size equivalent to a mobile device, you might want the layout to be completely different than the layout you might see on a desktop device or on a tablet. Maybe the orientation changes, maybe the flow changes, and even worse, maybe some elements are hidden. Maybe you want different colors. Um, maybe you want different sizing depending on the device, uh, the effective device size that you have. And that requires media tags or, or media queries, and, and then you have to then tie that into using Flexbox again. So the challenge of doing all that within an application becomes fairly significant, and, and it becomes a little ponderous, right? You're, first, you're trying to deal with dependency injection and services and RESTful <laughs> service calls and, and creating your own components, and then you want to work with animations, and now you have to work with all this Flexbox stuff to do your layouts. It can be a bit intimidating, and that's where Flex Layout comes into play. I just have to say, you had me at no floats and all of the other garbage that I hate doing with CSS to make it look right. Well, Ward, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, like, this sounds like pretty fantastic, but I remember a time, like, not too long ago, where like this stuff was just mind-numbingly hard to do. Like, what is the the browser adoption? on flexbox where do you draw the line and you know what's kind of the strategy on that because i love flexbox but you know there's <laughs> not supported by everything well you're right and of course we all know the problem child of browsers right um ie is will always be the problem child of browsers i thought um uh, edge like fully supports it right or no <laughs> Well, so the evergreen browsers supposedly support Flexbox CSS. The problem is there are bugs and there are edge cases. And especially if you try to use Flexbox in the stack, the vertical stacking mode or the column mode, then things can get really weird and it can be really challenging trying to figure out why Safari doesn't render it correctly while Chrome does and then Edge is totally freaking out about it. And um, <laughs> so you, you, that's where you have to become sort of the expert and figure out the workarounds. Yeah, I've had that with Safari, um, but I personally don't open Edge. It's like a personal preference, a life choice I've made. So. <laughs> but I have had work had to figure out workarounds for a couple of things in Safari. So whenever I get around Edge, I need an EpiPen, you know, for you know having <laughs> <laughs> for severe allergic reactions, right? Histamine issues. <laughs> the so the great thing about uh, and Ward sort of pulled the rabbit part out of the, partly out of the magician's hat, uh, and we'll come back to that in just a second, which is responsiveness. Um, so the, the great thing about 
the Flex Layout Library is A, it's supported by Google. It's part of the Angular core set. Um, I mean, it's not within core, but I mean, it's part of the library at GitHub slash Angular. And um, huge number of teams within Google also are starting to use it. Now, why is, why is it so powerful? Um, Lucas mentioned this, right? So you can start using Flexbox, but you have to be an expert. Well, with the Flex Layout Library, you don't. It's just a simple set of uh, directives, also known as obviously as, as tags, right? A, mar a markup elements on your HTML that you can just very intuitively apply these tags and say, hey, I want, I use, for example, if you want to lay out a set of children in a div container in a column mode, you can say FX layout equals column. And it's going to handle all these issues. Now, we, we sort of stumbled upon Flex Layout in general in Material 1, but we made some mistakes. Uh, Material 1, we decided with Material 1 that we wanted to do several things. We wanted to create a UI component framework. And within that framework, we, all, we wanted to support themes and we wanted to support a layout API. And truth be told, credit goes to Adam Flatter at um, the Ionic guys for coming up with the initial set of um, APIs for um, the layout features in Angular Material 1. We reworked that three or four times, but his original ideas were very innovative. But we made some mistakes. One, um, it was all CSS-based. And um, trying to create CSS that supports media queries and supports Flexbox and works across all browsers for all different uses of Flexbox um, became a monumental task. And in fact, it's, and, and what it resulted in with Material 1 was CSS just dedicated to Flexbox that was almost 300K of um, CSS. Oh, wow. Huge, right? And we made another mistake, too, that it was embedded within the Angular Material Library. And yes, you could build it separate, but it was really sort of shipped with Angular Material 1. And there were other, other mistakes, too. For example, initially it was just CSS, and it was using attribute selectors. Well, IE starts freaking out with attribute selectors with Flexbox. And so then we needed to use class names and then started, started using SAS and tried to generate that based on some uh, SCSS rules and what a mess that was. So when Angular 2 started really reaching a, a point of maturity, that's when we took lessons learned from Material 1 and we said, okay, the Material 1 community loves the components and we're working on Material 2 versions for Angular. And Material 1 community loves the layout API, but there were problems with it, so how can we make it better? And we decided to build a completely standalone flex layout library that had a zero kilobyte CSS footprint. So there aren't any CSS style sheets. Now that's not totally correct. Um, there is a CSS footprint, but it's in the code. And what it does is it calculates the CSS that in need, the styles that it needs to apply and applies those in line right on the DOM element. 
which then means it has the highest specificity that you can get, even override Shadow DOM and everything. So it's really cool because you can use H, it looks like HTML attributes. And when it runs, it has an, it runs very performant and it will inject the appropriate CSS stylings for the layout you're trying to achieve to each DOM element that you've told it to apply it to. Now, Thomas, when you say the highest level of specificity as a front-end person, it kind of is like, ouch, 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 because like that's not a good thing necessarily. Um, but maybe in this case it is? Well, in this case, so... You're, you're right. Uh, often we don't want that, right? Because then other people then try to do things like they'll use a, was a bang important and try to override specificity issues and nesting issues. And it, it becomes sort of a nightmare. But in this case, the things we're applying are, for example, a CSS style, maybe flex uh, direction, flex dash direction. And we're overriding the display uh, style, right? To say it's um, display colon flex. And we might uh, specify, um, in certain cases, a margin. But these are directly related to the directive you put on that element. So, And we're only applying it to that element, that hosting element. So, so far, I don't see any real downsides. Uh, it does mean, though, that if you have Flexbox stylings that you want to apply to a div area, and then you use the Flex Layout Library, the Flex Layout Library is going to win. Right, I'll rephrase it even more. If you use the Flex Layout API on that DOM element, then that API stylings will override any style sheet settings. Yeah, I ran into that recently, actually, but I was working with the first um, Angular material, and there were some Flex issues, and I was trying to fix them Um and I was getting really frustrated because I was like, why aren't you accepting my styles? And I was being as specific as possible with my selectors. And that makes sense now. So I guess as long as you're using the library properly, like the Flex Layout API and using that all properly, then it would be fine. But if I feel like the dangerous part is whenever you do, like you're saying, like try to do custom stuff on this side and then it gets like overridden and then you're like oh this isn't this is obviously not happening so yeah i i haven't seen any explicit examples where um, we've overridden a setting and then it caused problems i have seen some areas where we've applied stylings and then they weren't enough and then developers needed to add some extra stylings on top of it especially in the mm -hmm. column or vertical mode yeah. And that seemed to work really well, right? So it it seems to indicate that it it's complementary to adding more styles, because we're only overriding probably, oh, say eight to ten specific style properties, and it's only for that one element. Uh, and it and it works really fast. And if you and if also the great thing about it is if you don't want to use that, in other words, if you want to do something handcrafted, you don't have mm -hmm. to use the API on that div or that dom element yeah yeah i so think the problem was that we were using it like the person who'd come along before me was using it incorrectly and they were doing multiple kind of how you were saying like um when it's extra small do this when it's this size do this so then overriding that got really tricky and so i think you're completely right if you're going to do something custom um or super special then don't try to mix it <laughs> mm -hmm. 
thing. Right. If you do try to mix it, you're going to end up with some scenarios where it's not, it may not be working exactly as you want. But looking under the hood at the dev console and looking at the inspector, I think you can figure that out pretty quickly. Yeah. So this is the great power of the flex layout, but it's only portion of it, right? So what I've described is the static API, which is cool, but I don't think it's the bomb, right? I don't think it's it's something that really one should stand up and shout about. What I think is really cool, though, is the responsive API that's built into it. And we've actually taken that approach of that responsive API, and we've actually extended it and applied it to the um, Angular um, directives, ng-style and ng-class. And I'll describe those in just a moment. So what the, we mean by responsive API is that you take the standard API that I've just been talking about, FX layout, FX layout align, FX fill, or excuse me, flex, um, uh, FX layout gap, and there's a few others. These are all documented, by the way, on GitHub slash Angular slash flex dash layout slash wiki. So there's a pretty good online wiki. And now I'm going to wait for Ward and John to just totally pull me apart on that one and go, Thomas, we need to talk about the wiki. It's it's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like the growl to my voice when I said that? <laughs> Is it horrible? I haven't heard horrible things about I think it. He must it? be talking about John because I'm not that kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> Unless we start talking about Star Wars and then, you know. Well, the good news is I'm remote, so uh, Ward would have to throw the uh, the, the um, beanbag be pretty far to hit me. <laughs> no, I, I just I actually consider um, those two guys quite the consummate professionals, and um, you know the work they've done with Angular IO is pretty amazing, and so the wiki is a close approximation until we figure out how to actually generate docs that go into the Angular IO. So for right now, when people want to look at the API and look at the dot, uh, try to understand how these things work, just go to the wiki section on the repository. And you'll, it's a still a work in progress, but you'll see more about it. So well, that, that's so, true for the CLI too, for as we are speaking. Um, but we do have, as you uh, intimate, we have great plans for um, providing an even better documentation experience than we have today, which well, we desperately need um, also. also for for material and for CLI. So I wanted to just ask really quickly before we move too far along uh, or too much further along, and that is to get started with this, do I just import the module and that's it? Or are there other setup steps that I need for this? So there are a couple things you'll need to do, and this is all uh, documented on the wiki. There's some fast starts and installs and other things. The first thing you'll need to do is install um, using npm or yarn the library, right? So add mm -hmm. a, you install at angular slash flex dash layout. And then you'll need to make sure you you import and um, and use the flex layout module within your own application module. And okay. if you're using routing with sub-modules, you'll probably you may have to use the flex layout module in multiple modules. But you need to load and import the flex layout module as part of your application. Once you do that, that means that you can um, you can use the directives, and you can actually use some of the services. 
And what I mean by use the services is that you can inject some of those services into your constructor uh, as, as a constructor argument and then use those services. Okay. The other okay. question I have is you keep talking about Angular Material as well. I'm assuming the two libraries are completely compatible. So Angular Material is um, there's two versions, right? So there's mm -hmm. ang and we, we should be clear. I'm going to use the, the new the proper notation. There's Angular JS Material, which is essentially Material One for Angular One X, and then mm -hmm. there's Angular Material or uh, Material, which is really Material Two. That's uh, that effort is being led by um, Jeremy Elborn, who's the team lead for the Material Two team, and he's doing a, a great job. Him and Kara and a few other people. So that effort on Material 2, they are using Flexbox CSS on certain components, and it's handcrafted. So then people will say, well, if why are they using Flexbox CSS handcrafted when there's Flex Layout Library? And the answer to that is they initially did not want to have a tight coupling between Material 2 and this new library that was still sort of maturing. And second, sometimes when you're writing components, you don't want to depend on an external library to lay out the internals of your specific component. You want to use the external layout library to lay out views that use your components, but not the internals to your components. Did that okay. make sense? Yep. So, so what it means is, and we've already found some areas where there are some, uh, I won't say incompatibilities, but let's say that there's, uh, we have to be careful, and I think the Material 2 team is going to have to make some tweaks, because what uh, AngularJS Material and Angular Material both do is, on some components, when they use transcluded content, they actually transclude that into internal wrapper containers. And they do that for extra control over how our things are laid out and extra sort of insulation from the external world. But when they add an interim wrapper or multiple interim wrapper layers, nestings, that means the flex layout can't really get access to the true transcluded content. So we have to figure out how to address that one. But for most people, that's not going to be an issue. So what happens is, for example, let's say you're, you're doing transcluded content, or con actually, as we call it in Angular, we call it uh, content projection, right? If you're doing content projection and you want to use the, fle the external flex layout library on that content, then you should just wrap that projected content in a div. And then that div, when it gets nested within the internal wrappers it's that div and its children the the, con, the projected content div can still use the flex layout um, directives um, okay okay i think that makes sense yes it's a little it's, it would be so much easier if, if i would show <laughs> some examples so i'm trying to talk to it clearly and i apologize if it doesn't come across clear no i completely agree though that i was like i wish i could just see his screen <laughs> Come on, Thomas. Let's see it. <laughs> I'd show it to you guys, and you guys would have a blast, but then everyone else would be cussing at us, like, what the hell? They're having fun. They're talking about code, and we're not seeing anything. Oh, Tom, that's amazing. What you, oh, my, I wish you could see what I'm seeing. Oh, like life-changing. 
I really don't want to see you in your jumper suits, Lucas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the Snuggie right now. <laughs> a unicorn Snuggie? That's it. They touch my huh? head and I bare my teeth, so. So, the, the, you know, we've been working on Flex Layout for, oh, we've been thinking about it for over a year. We started working on it really aggressively in September. And I, I think uh, the real first beta of it, I think, came out in January or the, just before the end of um, December. And now we're at, uh, soon we'll be having an RC2. So I'd say with RC2 coming out, it's going to get, it's getting really pretty stable and it's, it's got a feature set that's really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still some things we're working on, but the thing that I haven't really talked about is this responsive API. That's what makes it really quite astounding. You guys I, want to hear about that? I was actually going to ask because I was going to say, you know, it Flexbox itself sounds really cool and the way that you've kind of tied everything together seems nice, but yeah. Um, what is the big major win for Angular Angular developers wanting to try out this flex layout? So the huge win is that not only does the library handle applying Flexbox stylings in line on the elements you've specified, but it also allows you to express your layouts in resp- in an intuitive, let's call it a declarative fashion, layouts that are responsive. And Ward mentioned at the beginning of our, our our little call here, he mentioned something about media queries. So typically we use, and there's some other features you can use to support responsive features, but media queries are the well, the, 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 the big one. And, um, and I, I guess I should back up for a minute and say, so this, what flex layout is not, it's not a grid layout, right? It's, it's not a complicated way of specifying things according to some sort of column grid. It's also not CSS constraint-based layouts, which is a new thing coming on the block, which is going to be really killer, but the brow- most browsers don't support it yet. So what we're talking about is the technology that all evergreen browsers right now support, which is a win for developers. And... When we take that API and then we add responsive features on top of it, that becomes incredibly powerful. So what are responsive features? So there's this idea that you could have your applications be responsive and adaptive. And I like to think, um, and I've heard multiple interpretations, so I'll express one that I'm, I'm, I'm going to say may change in the future, but responsive to me means that your application will adjust its layout fluidly in a responsive fashion as your window size or your viewport size changes. Well, that's what Flexbox gives us automatically. But when we really talk about responsive, we mean that um, the app, the, the layout can radically change. It can adapt to different um, device sizes. Uh, and that even could be if you're on a tablet and you go from landscape to portrait mode or vice versa, then the UI user experience that's presented can radically change. It could, things could, elements could be hidden. They could be shifted into a different order. They could be different sizes. Um, they could have different stylings, all sorts of things. So this adaptive nature, often we, we, 
achieve that by doing very complicated things with media queries. And we can do t those in two ways. We could use media queries from CSS and then have the CSS apply in a high specificity uh, when a media query becomes active. So for example, if you shrink your browser from 1,024 pixels wide to 600 pixels wide, uh, we tend to think of us at less than 600 pixels as being uh, sort of a mobile um, breakpoint range, right? And material design actually has a uh, section online um, online for responsive layouts and where they define specific breakpoints. And what we mean by a breakpoint is a, a, a pixel point where they say um, the device is considered to be a mobile device. So they might say a mobile device as a display size typically from zero to 599 pixels. And I'm throwing, I'd have to go look at the, the docs again, but I'm throwing some, uh, some rule of thumbs out. And tablets have another range where they might even be wider or they may be larger display sizes. And desktop can be even larger. So where the, the, that pixel breakpoint is, we define that as um, breakpoints. And these help us define how we might logically want to uh, change our UI and adapt our UI based on these device sizes, right? So if you're on mobile, which means, again, if I back up to that and say it's roughly 600 pixels maximum, if you're on mobile, you might want a whole bunch of elements not being visible. To do that, You'd have to use media queries. You'd either change the CSS, or you'd actually have to use the window API, match media, and register the query with there, register a listener, and then get the um, get have an event handler, and then on the uh, callback, do something to your UI programmatically. So you could either do it from CSS, or you could do it programmatically. What we did with Flex Layout was we said, okay, we really don't want to use CSS anymore. It, it was just too painful. A lot of the developers on the Material One team have scar tissue as a result of trying to do that with CSS. <laughs> you know, it's just, oh. But we, we wanted the power. We wanted to deliver that power to the developers. And we really wanted to deliver the power of the media queries. Well, what if we could take this notation, this an idea of saying, listen, if we could associate media query ranges with an alias, and, and then somehow use that alias within our API, so then it became incredibly simple to define alternate layouts for these new ranges of, of, of um, viewport size, but it was all declarative. Could we do that somehow? And we realized that we could, we could associate media query ranges for example, it's on a screen and it's, it has a max width of 599 pixels. If we could associate that media query with an alias, and in this case, we, it's XS for extra small, and then we could somehow use that within our API, and then the engine would automatically handle all the details of watching for that, that media query to activate, and then automatically applying any styles and settings that you've said to, to work for that particular range, then that would be almost magical. And that's what Flex Layout does. 
you can actually say, for example, if you want the layout to be in a row, right? So here's your classic one. I want it to be, my layout to be laid out horizontally, left to right, or right to left if your um, direction mode is, is switched. And you could even say, and by default, that we have an API called FX layout, right? And by default, if you just say FX layout, then the default direction is row. You could say FX layout equals row reverse mm -hmm. or column or whatever. But let's say now that you said, okay, uh, normally I want it to be laid out in the row. So I'm going to say FX layout equals row. But for mobile, for XS, the, the alias XS, for that range, I actually want it to be in column mode. So you can say FX layout dot XS equals column. Right, and on the same element, so you could say div, and then if we're using a div to do this, you could say div fx layout equals row, and then space fx layout dot xs equals column. So now you've defined two attributes. One is defining an adaptive response mechanism or a setting when you're on mobile. So when the, and under the hood, the flex layout takes a look at all these settings that you've done. It registers for the uh, media queries appropriately. It listens for callbacks and when that media query activates it gets under the hood the engine gets notified it looks at the settings that you've said to use for that particular range and it translates those settings to flexbox stylings and injects those on the fly and it does that for every single api mm. i like so it when something else does the work for me are you looking to expand your skills in mobile development have an idea for the next Angry Birds app? Then you need to check out iOS Remote Conf, produced by the same team that brings you your favorite devchat.tv podcasts like Ruby Rogues and iFreaks. Join us for two days of jam-packed fun and learning streamed to you live May 17th and 18th. Go check it out at iosremoteconf.com. And it does that for every single API. Mm. I like so it when something else does the work for me. <laughs> absolutely, right? Uh, and it's it's really, really powerful. But now the cool thing is, and this is, so, and, you know, I have to give a shout out to Matthias because Matthias actually helped me present some of these concepts to the uh, the core team when we were trying to say that we didn't, we didn't want Flex Layout to be a community project. We really felt that it needed to be an Angular core project. And the reason we felt that was because of the responsive engine, because there are many scenarios where it's not just Flexbox stylings that you want to change when a media query activates. And when I say activates, I mean that the viewport size is reduced to a certain um, or increased or reduced to a certain range that a new range set says I'm now active, right? And you get a callback for that media query that you've registered. So this responsive feature set, really, we wanted it to be part of Angular. And it's not in the Angular slash core, and it's not in Angular slash common, um, but it is inside Angular slash flex layout. And we've actually taken the, the common directives of ng style and ng class, and we've extended those with the same responsive notations, the dot and then the alias, 
And then you can specify different classes that will be applied or totally different stylings that will be applied on the fly um, when that range activates. So it's really cool. And, and online um, at the repository on the wiki, there's some links to some live demos. Whenever we get a GitHub issue or we think of a new feature that we want to demonstrate how it's used, we have not only in the source or in the repository our source for the library, but we have the source for the demos. And then we have a live demo that's running with Firebase. And you can actually go play with these things. And you can see how ng style um, extensions to be responsive work and how class extension, the ng class extensions work. And it's really, really powerful. Yeah, Lucas copied uh, a bit of code into the chat just so we could see it, and it is that is really slick. Um, we'll put we'll put an example, this example, in the show notes just so you can kind of see what it looks like. But yeah, this is really easy to follow and just kind of a really nice way of handling this. So Thomas, uh, I'm listening to all this, and it looks awesome. And I've been playing with your site throughout the whole episode here, and. I'm excited about this. I'm actually clicking through it all. But I'm curious, you know, everything looks great once you start using it. What are like the basic things I have to do as uh, our audience has to do to get started with this as far as, you know, pulling it into your application? And then uh, more importantly, how do you think that people, how do you advise people to think about how they should actually add it to their app? And let me give you a real scenario to, to work with. Mm -hmm. A very common thing I see a lot is, Somebody will have a list of things, widgets, people, whatever, that they want to show inside some kind of a layout. And that layout, let's say there's, they're going to show anywhere from 5 to 40 of them. And those need to go across the screen at most 5 wide and however many deep. But, of course, that needs to adjust. Where if the screen gets scrunched, it goes to less than that. You kind of feel where I'm going? I do. So um, you threw – you, there's a couple little curveballs you presented in there, but we can talk about it at a high level. One of the first things we tell people is think of the following. Think of your user experience, your, your storyboard that you're trying to implement, the UI. So a user experience in my mind is not only the user interface you see, but it's how that user interface reacts to um, user, user actions and how it, it – um, engages the user while it's doing the things that you've, it's been triggered to do. So that is all part of the user experience. And I tell developers, think of your user experience and your UI as containers and elements in containers from a Flexbox perspective, right? And so break it up into containers and then once you have, and then work at a container at a time and you can work your way inside out and if you have list list items that you want to render, right, inside a container, well, then my first thought was, oh, if, for example, let's say it's a vertical list. Well, then you probably want those items to be laid out in a column mode. So that means the container of the list items would have a FX layout equals column. But you then threw a, a curveball at me, John, because you said, well, what if I want them to be, the, uh, the items to be laid out five across at a time, right? And then, or it could be less. So the question then I would then say is, well, do you absolutely always want five or you just want however many that are going to fit? So is it, is there a certain minimum size they're going to have or do you want them to all be, to adjust their sizing? 
Yeah, so that that's a great question. This is where I often struggle. Like, I'll build an app, and let's just call it a dashboard. I'm the dashboard. We'll make it really simple. I just want to show people's first and last names inside of a rectangle of some sort. Mm-hmm. And I want these rectangles to go across the screen. And then, really, there's two things I think about there. They need to fit inside the rectangle. Like, I don't want Thomas Burleson's name outside of the rectangle, right? Mm-hmm. So either the rectangle needs to adjust or the font needs to adjust or maybe both. Uh, based on like phone size, et cetera. Uh, and then going across the screen, I say no less than two, right? Because that would be kind of weird, uh, but no more than however many fit. So this is where it gets weird. And most of the time, I personally, and a lot of people I work with, struggle with how do you do that? Like you get the whole site running, but then you spend a day or two messing around with media queries, adjusting all these different settings, trying to get them to flow. And that's where I'm hoping something like this uh, could be a great solution. So part of the challenge is um, this idea of flow, right? So Flexbox has this this flow mechanism, and it also has a wrap mechanism. The wrap mechanism <clears throat> um, can create some challenges because, yes, <clears throat> you can say things can have a minimum size. Hang on, I have to call. <clears throat> the nice thing about using the Flex Layout API is you could still have CSS applied. For, let's say, for example... If I'm, well, let's look at this Skype interface. I'm looking down at the dashboard as we're talking, and I see some avatars, the circular avatars of, of everyone. And there's four of them laid out left to right at the bottom. So very similar, right? There could be names with on top of the avatar area, and you might want that to be clipped. Sort of what you were talking about, right, John? Yes. So you... The great thing about the the Flex Layout API is you could have CSS that's specific to the avatar. Okay, I want this avatar to have a certain minimum size, a min width, and um, I want it to have a background color, and I want it to have um, a, a, a default uh, size or font, right? You can still do that. And now what you can do is say, okay, so now I want to figure out how to lay these out. So I've laid out the elements within the avatar, the circle area, if it's a circular avatar. But I want to lay, and each avatar is an item in my row, and I want to lay them out left to right. So um, I'll, I want to lay them out in a row fashion, horizontally, and I might want to have a gap around. between them, and I could either have a fixed gap or I could have a calculate a gap based on a percentage of of the of the total size of the of the row width. You could do that, and you could still uh, use the flex layout then to do that. You could say flex layout gap equals, and then you could say calc and some sort of percentage and all that, and then it will ap- apply the in in line. So, do you think that? I mean, I obviously I knew the answer to this is yes, you can do it with these tools. But do you think that it's easier or better doing this with the Flex Layout versus using just plain old CSS and media queries like we have been? Absolutely. Um, and I knew I, you were going to say that, but, but why? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> well, uh, the problem with media queries is it, it disconnects you from your HTML, right? You, you're going... Um, back and forth from a media query where you're setting sort of a style sheet, so to speak, the style style group, and then you're and then you're specifying that this needs to apply, and then you um, and you can have a whole bunch of class names that are going to be uh, uh, affected by that particular media query, and then you can apply those class names to your elements and all that. But when you go back to your markup, 
you might see some class names, but you don't really see, have a sense of how it's going to lay out and, or even how it's going to respond to different uh, display sizes. So with the Flex Layout API, it's a lot more clear. And you can still use, in fact, you should absolutely still use standard CSS for your regular stylings. Just in general, you'll find that you won't be using media queries hardly at all ever again. And um, in fact, um, I don't think I have used a, a CSS media query in, in like, like explicitly created a media query in over almost a year. So why this sounds amazing to me, Thomas, is that I'm... I've heard the promise many times with libraries uh, in the past, like Bootstrap, which we talked about a little bit here, and others that would allow you to do these kind of things. Uh, and either the library really almost made it more complicated than it really should have been in the first place, or the browser support really wasn't there for whatever features it was. And in the end, I almost always went back to, let's just write some CSS and do this. But I agree with you that if the tool can handle this and it keeps me from having to go back and forth between CSS and HTML, Basically, I'm writing semantic HTML, and if I can stay in that semantic HTML, to me, that's a win for productivity. Right. So that, that I think, right there is a great selling feature because people write these kind of apps all the time. And I agree with you. I wouldn't use this for every CSS-type replacement, but just for this particular scenario or scenarios like this, I think it makes a lot of sense from what you're saying. And the cool thing about it is, um, so the Flex layout, the, the library itself has sort of a responsive engine, right? It Underneath the hood, it has uh, um, a service called a media monitor, and it listens for callbacks coming from all registered media queries that, that have been registered through the API. And this, these callbacks or these activation notices um, get pushed out as part of a, um, a subscription, right, through observables. And you can inject an observable service right within your own component through the constructor. And then you can watch for any, and programmatically watch for any media query activation and then respond manually if you needed to. So if the API at the HTML level isn't doing what you need to do and you need to do have some extra programmatic logic, it's super easy. If you wanted to use um, NGF, right, the uh, template um, directives, Right, it's NGF or in, uh, probably the NGF is a good example, and you wanted it to only be active when it's on mobile. That's super easy. Star NGF equals, and then the injected service would is uh, you could call it media. Uh, so uh, NGF equals quote media dot is active, and then you specify the alias XS, and that will then be true or false. Anytime, and that's part of an observable. And guess what happens? Boom, and and it all happens within the uh, the Angular zone. So anytime a media query activates and changes, uh, it happens within the zone, which means uh, you know the dirty checks happen. Or excuse me, the uh, change detection happens. So it's really cool how your templates can actually respond to media query changes, also from with uh, right within watching this this observ observable service. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And thanks for, I know I put you on the spot with a scenario, but uh, thanks for kind of making this real for us too, because I like talking abstract about it, but it's nice to kind of think, all right, that's great, but this is what I do every day. I build apps, mm -hmm. and how can this actually help me on a day-to-day -day basis? Right. And and truth be told, John, I didn't really answer your question in 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 fullness, right? Because we hadn't really talked about the the wrap issues and uh, and I it would probably be a challenge to discuss it here, yeah, uh, on yeah. the call. 
but I would love to explore one of the scenarios you have and test it out because I think it will totally work. And where it doesn't, maybe then that's an area for more improvement on the API itself. I'll tell you what, you got a deal. I'll contact you after the show. All right, <laughs> you, you got it. We can pair up and I'll help as much as you want. Cool. <laughs> Within reason, but yeah. <laughs> you all heard it, all 10 million listeners. <laughs> Thomas just said free consulting for everyone. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. <laughs> yeah, we, we have it on, on tape. It's, it's too late, Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> that's yep. the new title of the episode. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, my lawyer's mumbling at me. He said, "Oh, that was directed to John." Ah. <laughs> yeah, but it's great. And if we uh, if we get a chance to do that, we can make it a sample somewhere. Maybe put it up in a plunker or a code pen so people can see it. Yep. Yep. And that's the other thing, right? The wiki even has an a link to some uh, a plunker template, and there are tons of plunkers that I have actually that I actually need to make it more available, more accessible to the community that they can see how this is actually being used right now. Uh, you can use it with material too. Uh, you can use it with your own specific UI. You can use it with lists. You can, um, you can use it. And um, there was something called the Holy grail example where you have a header and a footer, and then you might want a left side. And, and then in the content area, you might, you might want a left sidebar, a con middle content area, and then on the right sidebar. And so that holy grail example, there's, there's, that's actually available in the, the online demos too. It sounds like one of these great uh, infomercials that you see at 3 a.m. in the morning all of a sudden. <laughs> and if you act now for shipping and handling, you get two of them. <laughs> I, sometimes I think I do come across as a car salesman, but it's free and it works. <laughs> uh, no, I, I could listen to you all day talk about this because this is a yep. real problem that a lot of people have. And I think uh, I haven't used it a lot to be very upfront, but from what I'm seeing in the demo and what you're saying, it sounds like this has an opportunity to really fill a niche that's uh, a real need. Well, you know, Angular... I just really love Angular, and I think a lot of people are starting to wonder, is it only for enterprise teams? And yes, Angular has a ramp-up um, set of requirements, right? It's not as easily absorbed quickly as maybe to beginners as maybe React or some other frameworks. But Angular, I think, is is my framework of choice. And with all its power, it's still missing two things. One is animations. And the stuff coming out over the next two quarters are going to blow people away and solve many of those problems that we've had to date. And the other one is uh, layouts. And Flex Layout, I think, will start to help with that issue. So I need to share with you all a quick story before we wrap up. Uh, something that happened to me a couple of years ago when I was trying to convince a large company to use Angular. One of the lead developers who was um, well-respected there came up to me and said, but John, Angular doesn't have any UI controls. How can you possibly build an application without UI controls? You know, and I said, well, that's a good point. You know, we can use there's other libraries out there. There's the Kendos and you know the other ten hundred libraries that are out there. And then the person mentioned me, but if you use jQuery, John, jQuery has UI controls baked in. And it made me think. What he's really referring to is using jQuery and jQuery UI. But if we forget sometimes that. Even the best of us think of these things as um, in different ways than they're intended, meaning some people look at jQuery and jQuery UI and think they're all the same part. Some people think Angular and Angular Material and all these other tools are all the same thing as well. And it's good to remind ourselves that even though we live in this world and we know they're separate tools and they can work together, 
that you don't have to use them all either. You could pick to use this or you could pick your own library as well to go with it. Mm. Yeah. But uh, it's something not a lot of people understand when they get into it. You know, it's funny. I, I completely agree with that. And I even fall into that trap occasionally, right? Uh, and a, a good example is I was recently down this last January. I was down in New Zealand helping a company called TradeMe. Hey, Martin. And um, TradeMe is the eBay equivalent of New Zealand. And um, TradeMe is developing a very large enterprise application or a series of applications with Angular. They had an Angular JS version. Now they're developing um, from ground up an Angular version, and they have written their own um, UI component framework that is um, runs in parallel with Material, right? And so the development team down there has just done a fantastic job, uh, and it highlighted to me that you can use this amazingly powerful framework. And then if you don't want to use material for, and there are various reasons why some enterprise groups to, or smaller startups wouldn't want to, then you can create your own. And, and if you don't want to use Flexbox CSS manually, then use the, the layout library. And if you, um, let's say that you need animations and they're not there just yet, right? Um, then you could use the GreenSock animation platform if, and the UI route, right? There's UI router and now there's Angular router. So it's the, the, the community has this wide choice that's amazing. Does your team need to master AngularJS? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to ours, angularbootcamp.com. Very cool. Well, let's go ahead and uh, do some picks. Alyssa, do you want to start us off with picks? Yeah, um, I occasionally am a panelist on another podcast called... <gasps> In- <laughs> I know, right? I'm not cheating. I didn't promise. Are you seeing other people... I'm 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 seeing other podcasts uh, playing the field a little bit. <laughs> you know, it's field. not it's not you all. It's me. Angular Air is amazing, and we did a show today. Um, so what is today? The twenty eighth. So since our shows on Adventures in Angular are a little backdated, go back and look for NG Air on the twenty eighth of February. And Matthias did a really, really cool talk about animations. And he actually mentioned Thomas. And then, of course, you know, in Thomas's talk today, he talked about flexy stuff and, you know, mentioned Matthias. So I think the two shows really complement each other and they're two halves of one whole picture. So definitely check out NG Air episode 103 and the link will be in the show notes. All right. Um, Joe, did you do you have some picks for us? I do have some picks for you. Um, all right. Last night, I went and saw John Wick 2 and really enjoyed oh, it. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. I love the but Zach What a sick. masochist you are. And I wanted to go see it. It's good, though. You liked it? I liked it. What, I was? it. what was it? Great. John Wick 2. I don't, I don't know if it was. It was like. Keanu I felt Reeves like it was definitely a sequel. Stiff. He is so stoic. It's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah yeah i i don't know i really i love john wick and so i felt like it was a sequel maybe not quite as good just because it was 
it's sort of become formulaic. When I first saw John Wick, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so great. This is so different. Where this one was maybe a is little bit more Is that the one where formulaic. he says, um, uh, Joe, is that the one where he says, people ask me if I'm back? Yeah, I think I'm back. Yeah, actually, I'm, I'm wondering if that was actually cut for the, but that's, it's, this is definitely the, uh, from the preview, but I can't actually remember that from the movie. So I was wondering if, if it was cut hmm. from no, it's the enough. movie or not. Is it? Oh, maybe I just missed it. Anyway, great show. Lots of fun. Lots of uh, lots of good violence, good action, some really cool uh, type fight scenes and stuff. Really you make enjoyed me it. so happy. My husband, Zach, said that not a lot of people like him for some reason, like the director <laughs> of that movie. But like he and I really mm-hmm. enjoy his stuff. So I'm really yeah, glad you like it. Too. John Wick's <laughs> been a big hit. And so I think John Wick, too, is doing a lot better than... The um, more okay. I learn about you, man, we're like two peas in a pod. <laughs> I feel like there's so many like hidden things where it's like I was telling him like about D and D how we played last year at NGConf, and he was like, "Can I get in on that game this year?" Like, he's <laughs> really so cool, like just so cool. Oh, Anyways, continue with so, your picks. One other thing that I really did like about it was uh, it was lots of good action, but there wasn't really any nudity, and I, as far as I know, there wasn't really any like I don't think there was an F word dropped in the whole show, so. Um, anyway, great show. Really enjoyed it. My other pick is going to be Prime Faces. And specifically, they're, I think it's Prime N- Prime NG for Angular. This is a UI control. Since we've been talking about UI controls, let's think about this. This is a UI uh, control toolkit. they got a ton of different UI controls to use, with, specifically with Angular, meaning Angular 2. Um, great, great set. Very easy to use. Uh, I've been able to do everything that I've wanted to do with them with very little trouble at all. And man, they must have like a hundred different controls. So I found a control to do everything that I want to do in a fairly complex UI so far and really enjoying it. So I'm going to recommend that uh, primefaces.org slash prime ng, and there'll be a link in the show notes. Those are our picks. All right, Lucas, what are your picks? Sure. So I have two picks. Uh, the first one is um, the Angular testbed and the component fixture. So I've been really kind of digging in to writing test in Angular and the testbed and test fixture, the component fixture and the debug element. So pretty much just everything that has been provided in the Angular testing utilities is phenomenal. The fact that you can, you know, compile a test module, you know, grab that component that you're testing, you know, actually get the testing fixture, the debug element, you know, so the template. And doing that in Angular One was actually really hard, where you'd have to like do a string, then compile, you know, and then do some like regex on it or something crazy. Um, so you know, hats off to uh, the folks that did the Angular testing utilities, top notch, super awesome to work with. And, Lucas, uh, did you see the um, the blog I wrote on advanced testing with custom matchers in Angular? I did. Yes. Okay, cool. What? So this actually segues right into my second pick. Uh, so Thomas is oh, my no. <laughs> reason being is he was literally my first Angular friend. Uh, so when I was you know learning uh, 0.9, it was basically Thomas, John Lindquist, and myself. And um, I remember, you know, just being terrified about putting a blog out and just learning. And Thomas was just super encouraging. And um, I've actually learned quite a bit from him over the last couple of years. And I would just say that you know, if you ever have the opportunity, you know, or you ever need anything, 
Um, Amish, so gracious, and uh, I appreciate that. So thank you so much. Oh, you're so kind. Aww. Thank you. True that story. Really nice. Yeah, we actually went on. A, I still remember going on a bike ride with you, Lucas. It was awesome. That was, was uh, those like two seaters. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> he, he was visiting the Des Moines area, and we went out on a long bike ride, and then we ate at a place called Zombie Burger. And uh, your son was there, and he trolled me so hard on the path <laughs> about Santa Claus. Where he's like, "Wait, Santa's not real!" And I'm just looking at Thomas, like, "What do I say to this?" And just, and then like your boy just totally bust out laughing, like, and I would just bust, like, he just totally got me. <laughs> <laughs> nice, uh, John. What are your picks? I have a few picks here. Uh, the first one is. I absolutely struggle with Wi-Fi in my house. It drives me nuts. I buy an awesome router, something that's got a lot of security, and I want those features in it. And my house is kind of spread out, and I got lots of kids, and I want it to have the reach. And so I got repeaters or extenders, and I buy a router, it seems like, every other year. And they always work for like a month, and then they just slowly degrade into nothing, and it's hard to update them. So you so have recently, a solution because I'm going through this too right now. Oh gosh, it's like Me it's too. just like something I've learned to live with. So <laughs> recently, I I looked into like some high end like what what a business is using. You know, and they're spending you know sometimes uh, five grand or more on these things, which I don't want to do. But I looked, and there's this company out there called Amplify, and we'll put the link in there. And I ended up spending about 350 bucks in this. It's a router that looks like a Apple product, <laughs> but it's not. It's a router that automatically updates. It's got a touch interface. It'll actually warns me like every couple of days when there's a new firmware so it can update itself. And wow. it comes with two extenders that plug into sockets in your house. So I just plug these things in. And they actually don't look gaudy and they're small. Uh, and this, I've put this in so far. And I don't drop, knock on wood, it's only been two weeks, but I haven't <laughs> dropped a single time with Wi-Fi, uh, nor have my kids. And oh, that's great. it's oh, like, wow, wow Wi-Fi actually just works. Now, granted, it might degrade over time, but so far, it's already been better than any other router I've ever had. And um, I put it in there. It's called the Amplify HD, and it comes with two extenders and one router, all in one box. Uh, super simple to set up, and I control it through my uh, iPhone. So, so I, have, first. I have one question about this, because I have a one-year-old, and so if it plugs into the wall and I have to plug it in like on the plugs that are lower on the wall, then it will not stay there. So do they have to plug into the wall somewhere like that, or is there another option for that? Yeah, they have to plug into any wall outlet somewhere. Okay. I mean, there and, are, at least in my house, there are some higher. Yeah, high, I'd, do you I'd not have, have to, any high extension? Or well, what do you I'd have plugs? to do it in the kitchen or something, but in the living room, I couldn't. You could also put them inside of like a bedroom somewhere, too, like someplace your child's not going to get to. Oh, that's true. Yeah, like I keep one out by my backyard, like at the pool area. <gasps> yes, that's what I, I was thinking. Upstairs at the top of the stairs. Because I work in the backyard a lot, and I was thinking of putting it yeah. like in the plug in the garage because it's right by the the plate, like patio. So this is so I'm like looking at it right now. I'm so purchasing one. It is very <laughs> very cool, and I get nothing for selling these. So, <laughs> but so far I'm really. I mean, three hundred fifty bucks ain't cheap, but if it works, it's money well spent as opposed to just constantly dropping the Wi-Fi. If it ends this battle, then yes. <laughs> Right, and it doesn't just create like an extension that's a separate network that has to be rerouted. It actually sort of in increases that bubble size of a single network. Yes. Right. Yes. So that's and so it's it's all sort of viewed as one network. How do you yeah, know they, it's the web Wi-Fi and not the provider? Because 
I do these speed tests all the time. In one minute, I've got 0.1, like during today, megabits per second, and then 70. And I, I'm going to be yeah, that annoying tech girl on the phone. Do you plug directly into your modem to run these tests, or are you doing it over a Wi-Fi ward? I'm have, you tried, have you tried wiggling it? <laughs> Jiggling the antenna. You At know least what I for should... me, that's how I debugged it. I was like plugging in directly to the modem and immediately like 100 times my, my download speed. And I was like, oh, so it's the router this time. But I don't, I don't know. It could yeah. be something okay. different for you. Maybe I should pull out the plug, reverse it and stick it back in. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, John, oh you gosh. said you had another pick. Yeah, I have two other quickies here. One is a link I put up there. It's about leadership. Uh, It's a great leadership style that I've always looked at because I always look for leaders who have my back and are motivating and care about what we care about. And uh, the leader link I put in there is from Satya at Microsoft. It's something that he did with a very high-profile mistake that I think a lot of uh, people think Microsoft made at one point. And he really backed his employees up, and I love the way he approached it. Uh, It's a great leadership lesson. And then the last pick is another link I put up here of uh, if those of you who might know somebody who might be looking to become part of a developer advocacy crowd, um, my new employer, Microsoft, is going to be looking to fill a bunch of seats for developer advocates. So check out the link we have here. And if you know somebody who might be a good fit, check it out. Sounds good. Um, Congratulations on the new job, John. That's cool. Thank you very much. I'm excited. Yeah, we'll see you at some conferences, I'm sure. You like you did before. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was like, he, he's he's everywhere. He's pretty yeah. much uh, everywhere. But I think that, that's, that's great for you, John. And it's going to be great for Microsoft and all of the Microsoft community out there. That that um, So congrats. Thanks. Yep. Yeah, and just to clarify, I'm still doing Angular and everything else I do now. Node. Awesome. That's awesome. Right. John, seriously, though, you reach out to me if you need me to, to go over that stuff with you. Uh, you got it, man. I will. All right. I'm going to jump in here with a couple of picks. Um, the first one is um, I did – so I, I hired a new person to help me with the podcasts. And she's been around for a few weeks, and she realized that it was a lot more complicated than even what I had really thought of. You know, I just kind of drift through and do my thing. And so um, we got on a Google Hangout, and I explained everything to her. But I also recorded it with uh, ScreenFlow. And so I'm going to pick those two tools. Um, and then I sent her the video. And that way, I could just kind of stream of consciousness. Okay, when I do this, I do this. And then I do that. And then I do that. And then I do the other thing. Instead of trying to figure out what's supposed to go in this stupid document. Um, and then she can write the stupid document. And then we have it documented for how it gets done. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm... I'm I, I'm trying to be funny, but it's it's kind of frustrating when, you know, stuff isn't happening the way you want. And so it's been nice to have that all work out. So we're putting it all on Google Drive. So I'm going to pick that as well. But yeah, Google Hangouts and ScreenFlow worked out really nicely for that. And then Google Drive. So if you need to demo anything for somebody, that's just a great way to go. Uh, yeah, I've used ScreenFlow for years and yeah. uh, love, love, love it. So definitely backing up that. Yep. Thomas, do you have some picks for us? I do. So um, the first one, we'll we'll stick with the movie theme. Uh, I actually recommend The Accountant with Ben Affleck. Really surprisingly good. Uh, Is this like recent? 
It's been out for a couple months. Um, okay. It's on Apple TV right now. Okay. And Ben Affleck plays um, an individual who has, um, uh, uh, think of it as autism, but his father raised him in a certain way to try to deal with real, the real world, even with his autism. And he becomes an accountant, but he becomes an accountant who does uh, forensic analysis for drug dealers and other things. So he's... Um, is wanted by the FBI and it is very, very good. Lots of action, really good sort of, um, there's some, uh, um, anguished theme, you know, personal theme to the character. I think you'll like it a lot. And then the other pick is, uh, since Victor Safkin has left, um, the angular core team itself directly and went out off on his own with Jeff Cross and on narwhal.io. He's become very prolific on some of his blogs and his um, videos. And he had a recent one called Controlling Time with Zone JS and Fake Async. Um, I really recommend uh, this particular um, article. And he has some other ones on AOT and some routing and his, his articles are just great. So that he's my other pick. Very cool. Um, just to wrap up, if people want to follow you, check out what you're working on these days, that kind of thing, uh, where do they go? So you can check out on Google plus, but the best way is just go to the GitHub and not really on GitHub slash Thomas Burleson, which is my own personal stuff. That's pretty inactive because I'm very busy in the slash angular side. And um, you can um, send me a tweet on at Thomas Burleson. That's my Twitter handle. And uh, I rarely check Skype, but Twitter or email and um, come to conferences. I'll be at ngconf. Walking around, we're going to be – actually, there will be a workshop on using Material 2 and Flex Layout, a two-hour workshop there. And I'll be teaching um, a whole session on Saturday, I think the 8th, on um, advanced forms and reactive forms. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Thank you again for coming. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It was really a blast. All right, yeah. We'll catch you all next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Peace out. <laughs> Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.